And one of the things that um, I discussed with them was how I felt unnecessary. You know, what do you do after everything you've done all your life? It's no more. It's like the rug is pulled out from underneath of you unless you're working. What is there for you to do? Because in life, women are told this is your responsibility, family, home. And even though we have to work, people don't allow us to be more than mother and wife. It's a societal thing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that celebrates, elevates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman currently based in Spain, and I'm not only a podcaster, but I'm also a business strategist. As a business strategist, I help Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their skills into viable and sustainable businesses that can take them successfully abroad, making them feel professionally fulfilled and also financially abundant. If you are interested in building a business abroad, then I welcome you to download my Build a Business Abroad guide at the website flourishintheforeign.com and also learn more about my business strategy services at christinejobe.com. I have some incredible news, y'all. We have been nominated again, this time by the Black Podcasting Awards in the category of Best International Podcast. This is such an incredible honor, and I am so humbled. We did it, y'all. We did it. If you are interested in joining the Flourish in the Foreign Book Club, well, you need to sign up for it. We're going to be having a kickoff meeting, so you definitely want to join us. Our first book is going to be In Every Mirror She's Black, which is by Flourish in the Foreign guest Lola Akimande Akstrom, and so you will definitely want to join us for that. Also, if you're a member of the book club, we will be having a discussion with the author in November. How about that? If you want to join in on not only the book club, but also the discussion with the author, you need to be signed up for the book club. Only registrants of the book club will be given the meeting details for our kickoff meeting, but also our discussion with the author. So if you want to join us, be sure to sign up for the Flourish in the Foreign Book Club. This incredible award-nominated labor of love is still, yes, labor nonetheless. So please support this here podcast if you love this here podcast. You can do so by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash flourish foreign. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. You can cash app the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign. You can purchase a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wish list, which you can find on the website flourishintheforeign.com slash support. I also want to thank all of you that have written reviews of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Please keep them coming. 
and make sure that you are sharing this podcast with all of your friends, all of your family, and across all of your social media channels. All right, on to the next episode. Today's guest is Gwen, and Gwen is such an amazing guest because she has such a light and such a fire to her, but also her perspective of being a retired woman, deciding to move abroad, I think is really interesting. She definitely drops gems that resonate with anyone, regardless of life stage that you're in. It was a pleasure to chat with her. At the time of this recording, she lived in Barcelona, and now I believe she lives on one of the Canary Islands. But I will let her tell you all about it. My name is Gwen Benson Walker. I am 74 years old and I live in Barcelona, Spain. My hometown was Washington, D.C. and I was 68 when I retired and that is the same year that I came to Barcelona to live. My life was a typical Black person's life in America. We didn't have a lot of money but I read a lot. My father and my grandmother taught me how to read when I was very young. So every book, any kind of information, I learned from books. My grandmother had read me a story about Scandinavia, and it had always been in my mind, I want to see Scandinavia. Now, mind you, I had no idea until I got older exactly where, what Scandinavia was about. But it was, it was like a seed, and I could feel it, I, the desire to go see it. I went only to college, which was Montgomery College right outside of Washington, D.C. I was in the older years when I went. I was what was called a non-traditional student. I was in my 30s when I went. I was raising children, so that was another whole life and another whole way to be. And I did not study abroad. I used to travel. We used to travel around in the association and go to different colleges and have meetings about education, inclusion, and those kinds of things. But I didn't really travel outside of the United States at all until I was in my 40s. Raising three children basically on my own was a whole adventure and a whole different life, a whole different thought process until after they got grown and had their own families. But I've had, oh, so many jobs, different adventures, different cities I lived in, Philadelphia, Connecticut, New York, California, Florida. And I was always like my own boss. I would create jobs. I was an office manager uh, consultant for years when I lived in Washington, D.C., because raising three children on your own in a salary does not give you much money. So I decided to create my own business and be like a temporary agency, but just me. And I was able to have a lot of clients. I worked for nonprofits. I worked for attorneys. And I also got a chance to really see a lot of different things, understand a lot of different things. And then, you know, my children started getting grown and I, I got married when I was in my late 30s again. And so basically we lived in Washington, D.C. I bought a house and we lived there until 
2000, 2002, I think it was. And then my husband and I moved to Florida. And in Florida, I opened up a gym, a woman's gym called Body by Gwen. And that was so much fun because I'm a, an outward, high energy person. And owning a gym allowed me to just thrive and be a people person and to use my energy for exercise and encouragement. So that was, that was wonderful for me. And then I left Florida in 2004. My husband and I got a divorce and I came back to Washington, D.C. and actually started working a second time for a congresswoman for Washington, D.C. I won't name, mention her name here. And I worked there for eight years. And then one day I looked up and I said, well, what are you going to do now? Because you've done this, you need something new, but you can't afford to retire. What are you going to do? And by sheer luck, one of the ladies who is in charge at the House of Representatives is in charge of retirement told me, oh, well, you, now that we told you about your Social Security, you need to go over to OPM so they can tell you about your retirement. That was the luckiest day of my life. My life changed. My life prospects changed because then I was told between the two incomes as a retirement, I had enough money to do anything I wanted to do. And it changed my life. It really did. I asked Gwen to describe to me how she decided to move abroad in the first place. Well, I was working merrily along thinking, oh, you know, I'm never going to retire. I'm just going to just work until I drop because what would I do without work? My children were already grown and gone out of the house. My husband and I were divorced and I'm thinking, oh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just work until I drop. And that would have been fine with my boss because she loved me to work. <laughs> she says, oh, don't go anywhere. But one day, I decided I wanted to go see something of Europe. I didn't know which, which country is a toss-up between Spain and Italy. My ex-husband could speak both languages because his parents were actually immigrants. He was the first American-born um, child. And so I called him up and I said, look, can you go with me either to Italy or to Spain? I just want to see what they're like. And he said, sure, no problem. So I, that was said. I didn't have to worry about language. I didn't have to worry about being on my own. Because the one thing my ex-husband was, he was very easy to just go anywhere, to, to see anything. And when we used to travel, even throughout the United States, he knew where we were, how to get there, how to get back. So in the States, I traveled a lot. But I never thought about going to Europe. And one day, in my office, I was talking to one of the employees and I said, oh, I think I'm going to go to Italy because I haven't been. And so he says to me, no, go to Barcelona. Me and my partner, we just came back and we had the best time. So I said, really? He said, yeah. And guess what? I can tell you how to get an apartment. So I said, really? Because I'm thinking, I'm not a foodie. So one of the issues that I always had going somewhere was finding something to eat because I don't like a lot of food and I won't eat. 
So he said, yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, if I have an apartment, I can cook. That's, that was the requirement. So he told me who to go see and who to talk to. And I did that. And so we came to Barcelona. Now I have to tell you a little bit about this experience. When I got to Barcelona, as I walked off of the airplane, I was not out of the airport. I was still on the tarmac and something hit me in my heart that said, you're home. And I thought, what? Why am I feeling this? I feel like I'm home. And I can't describe the feeling on my skin, in my brain. It was fabulous. We walked everywhere in in Barcelona. We walked up hills and down hills. We walked up the Timitabo from downtown because we didn't know any better. And we walked everywhere and I was in love. So I said, I'm not going home. I'm going to stay here. This was in 2014. And I said, I'm not going home. I'm going to stay here. So my ex said, no, 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 no. You have to go home and retire. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go home and retire. And that's exactly what I did. I got home. I walked into my boss's office and I set her down and I said, I'm leaving. I'm moving to Spain. She said, what? No, no. And I said, yes, I'm moving to Spain. So I'm giving you 10 months because I needed the 10 months to get everything in order because you just don't want to go somewhere and you don't know what you're doing. There's a lot to do. I had to sell everything in my apartment, get rid of everything I owned except for two suitcases because you don't want to travel with a bunch of stuff and and get papers from the embassy and everything just kind of fell in place. And because I had Spanish interns at the office, they helped me fill out the Spanish papers and the, and the forms. And we put them in the embassy and I got my visa and I was on my way. So in, in January of 2015, I was here. I was here January 15th in Barcelona with my two suitcases. And I've been here ever since. I was curious to know what her friends and family thought about her decision. I have the most loving family and friends that you will ever meet. And they have never, even when they were little and I used to move them around the country because I get bored or I'm seeking new employment or better opportunities, they never complained. They never said, no, no, we don't want to go. And they never gave me any trouble. They just packed up everything and we went. So when they're grown and living in their own environments, it it was nothing for me to do. And one of the things that um, I discussed with them was how I felt unnecessary. You know, what do you do after everything you've done all your life? It's no more. It's like the rug is pulled out from underneath of you unless you're working. What is there for you to do? Because in life, women are told this is your responsibility, family, home. And even though we have to work, people don't allow us to be more than mother and wife. It's a societal thing. So they said, mom, you don't speak Spanish. That was the first thing they told me. How are you going to go to Spain and you don't speak Spanish? And I said to my youngest daughter, because she's the one, I said to my youngest daughter, well, I know how to smile and I'm female. 
I think I can get along very well in any country because all you have to do is be friendly and look like you're trying. And I did. And it was very easy for me. It was very easy because I felt like I was home. I asked Gwen to tell me what her experience was like when she finally landed in Barcelona, not to visit, but to live. And what that first year was like for her. Well, the visit was that feeling that I got like I was, oh, this is great. But the day I landed in Barcelona airport with both of my suitcases, everything that I owned was in those suitcases and my pocketbook. I was so excited I could hardly get out of the airport. I just felt like there was a whole new chapter in my life opening. It was, it felt like a mantle had been lifted off of my shoulders and I didn't feel so heavy and so mentally drained. I felt, oh, this is new. I'm a new person. I like new things. I like meeting new people. I love, love, love challenges. So the challenges that I was looking forward to were something that I hadn't even thought of, things that, that I didn't know what to do. But one of the things I did before I left America, I joined an association that is an international association. It's called Internations, and it is really an international association for people who travel and live abroad. And I have met so many people from so many countries all over Europe, in Africa, in, in South America. So I was able to get information and talk to people who were here, who had come from the States, who were coming from different countries and getting advice about how, how much the apartments are, how do you find some place to live, what do you do, those kinds of things. Because without those, you really are at the mercy of whoever sees you first. So I was able to blend enough information to know that I needed to not get an apartment before I came here, which was a big no-no. It was to come, get an Airbnb, and start from there. And that's what I did. And I found the best Airbnb hostess that I ever would, would be lucky enough to find. She was marvelous. She really helped me find my way. I put my suitcases down the first day I got here and went to a party. <laughs> I didn't even unpack. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you need. Well, not necessarily a party. Everybody's not a partier, but I am. And you need to just meet people. You need to not be afraid. So I was able to meet people who spoke languages and English was one of them. And even though I didn't speak Spanish, I met people who did. So if I needed something, I could call them and say, what does this mean? Can you talk to this person? And they did. So I was able to bring myself along, get an apartment, get a bank account. And that's very important. And it's very difficult if you don't know what you're doing. Uh, register my papers, which was super important if you want to stay here, unless you want to be illegal. And it's just, I don't know. I can't explain how easy it has been for me because I know other people's experiences have not been that easy. So if people are listening to me saying, oh, it's great, you can go. You have to actually find out from other people what their experiences are 
But because I'm a people person and I smile, it was much easier for me. Barcelona, Spain, I don't know about Madrid, is nothing like America, okay? People move very slow here. They are not in a hurry and you can't make them be in a hurry no matter what. So one of the things I had to adjust because I'm a fast person, I go, 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 okay, let's do this. In Spain, I had to adjust my pace really far down. If you go to the grocery store and you're standing in line, you think, okay, like America, they want to get people in and out. They don't want to see you. Well, here in Spain, that's not what happens. We live in communities here. These are real communities where people have lived, their grandparents, their parents. So when you go to the grocery store, the person working in the grocery store is one of your neighbors. So the stores are a a way to exchange information about your mom, your dad, and they stand there at the checkout and they talk. They get their groceries packed, they put their money away, and they're still talking. And everybody's standing in line waiting for them to finish because the very next person that comes up is also going to do the same thing if they know that person. So you have to adjust your timing. You don't have to be in a hurry. It takes a little getting used to, but it's something that I find most enjoyable because I don't have to be in a hurry. I don't have to be in a rush. I don't have to say, oh my God, oh my God, I got to hurry, hurry. It's none of that. It's all very, and people help you if you can't figure out your change or anything. It is so different. For me, the experience here has been one of welcoming and, 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 and just meeting people, even if we don't speak the same language, somehow we communicate. This is an old country and their, their, their infrastructure is old. So the houses that you live in are not nice like the houses that you have in the States. They're different. All of their plumbing and everything is inside the walls. So if something breaks, if you got a flood in your house and nobody wants to come to figure out where it's coming from. I had that experience the first year I was here. I actually had to move out of my apartment because they couldn't and wouldn't fix a plumbing leak that started inside the walls in the apartment. The apartments are not what you would expect for the money that you pay. Now, you pay a lot less money for accommodations here than you do if you're in the States, a lot less money. And so, but you have to be careful of mold. You have to be careful of hidden leaks. You have to be careful of all the little, because these apartments are old. So they've been sitting here in the air. People have been living in them, even though they paint them and they try to shiny things up. But the moment you turn on in two months after you've been in an apartment, you turn on a faucet and the faucet throw goes up in the air because things have not been done exactly like they would be done in the United States. One thing, you just have to be patient and say, this, I need this done. Come and look, help, help, help. You don't get help right away. You call uh, somebody to come and fix something. It may take them two weeks and they'll come not prepared and they'll say, I'll be back. They don't come back for another week. So you just have to be patient. There's just a different timing. I guess that's the word. There's different timing here. I asked Gwen if she spoke Spanish and how she was learning Spanish. I'm in school right now trying to learn Spanish. I've been in school for four years and I still haven't learned enough to speak, a, have a whole conversation yet. 
But people, to me, where I live, people are very friendly. Even though we do hand language or we do the, tra- the translator to, to understand what each of us is saying, but a smile goes a long way. You know, it just, it just does. Learning to say, I'm sorry, I need help, goes a long way. So for me, it's not difficult. I asked Gwen if Spanish or Catalan politics affect her day-to-day life living in Barcelona. I'm not political here. I don't have to be. And when they had the, when they had the big riots because of the voting, I just stayed in my house. You know, I, I'm not political. I, I've left all of that in America. So I'm not in that political realm to worry about who's voted, who hasn't, what are they doing, who's going to be in jail. I hear it and I make note of it because you have to know what's going on around you in your environment. But mostly it has not affected me. I can still go to the stores. I can still go to anywhere I want to go. And nobody says, oh, you can't go here. Although a couple of people have tried to tell me, well, you should be involved and you should understand because you come from America and you know the hardship. And I just tell them, I'm sorry, but I have no horse in this race. And I, I appreciate your struggle, but it's nothing I can do because I want to stay in this country. And I don't want them to put me out because now I'm a rabble rouser here in Spain. That doesn't make sense. So for me, at my age, I just want to enjoy what time I have left. I asked Gwen if she felt that American politics still affect her while living abroad. They do. They do because they don't affect me like they would if I lived in America. Okay, I'll I'll just tell you that. People don't treat me differently here because of something that happened in America. They want to know. They want to understand they want to understand the politics or why somebody would do this. They, they're trying to find out from me why Donald Trump was elected. And to this day, I can't tell you. I'm sorry, I can't tell you. I have no idea. I have an inkling of what I know, but I don't know for a fact, except for, I don't know. I don't know. The simple explanation is that white folks went crazy when after Obama was elected. And even though he elected them twice, but they just they just couldn't stand a black person being in the White House. And so they elected the first person they could find to sit in that chair because the, he was white. That's all I know. That's all I can think of. But none of the politics in America affects me except for I worry about my family. I worry about them when I hear children and young people being shot, being murdered, being shot in the back, being shot in the bed. I worry about that. But I can't, there's nothing physically that I can do about it. There's nothing I can write. There's nothing I can run and holler and scream about. There's nothing. So you kind of try to slow your heart rate down and just try to pray and hope that your family's going to be okay. I asked Gwen to tell me about her experience dating in Barcelona. Horrible. Just so you know, horrible. I find men here are very rude and very uh, selfish. The atmosphere here for men is that they matter and women don't. So I have not been dating since I've been here. I've talked to uh, a couple of men that was through the internations, but I've never been on a date. No one's ever offered to buy me coffee or they don't do that here either or take me to a movie or anything. So basically, as an older Black woman in Barcelona, 
I have not had the experience of dating and being with a man here at all. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And if you are, please consider supporting the podcast by either becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash flourish foreign, tipping the podcast via cash app at dollar sign flourish foreign, buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign, or purchasing a piece of production equipment via our Amazon wishlist at flourishintheforeign.com slash support. I also want to invite you all to check out the plethora of resources that I have compiled for you all at the website flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. You will find a book list to help you get, stay, and thrive abroad, as well as the build a business abroad guide and moving abroad with intention guide. All right. Let's continue the show. I asked Gwen about getting health insurance in Spain and what her experience has been with the Spanish healthcare system. As an immigrant, you have to have insurance before they let you into the country to stay. And you have to have proof that you have insurance that covers you while you are here in Spain. That being said, there are plenty of companies that will be glad to sell you health insurance. The the catch is that when you get a certain age, then there are less companies that want to insure you because you have pre-existing conditions. If you're lucky enough to get an insurance company like I have DKV, I had cataract. So I thought, oh, let me get them fixed. And I got, I bought insurance and I didn't find out until about a year later that I had cataracts because it didn't dawn on me that I was seeing darker. Anyway, so they said, oh no, that's pre-existing. So we don't cover that. And I thought, well, why am I covered if I wrote them a letter? They never did answer. I wrote them a letter and said, at my age, in my age group, we are pre-existing conditions from the tops of our heads to the bottom of our feet. So how can you say you're going to insure me and then say, no, whatever I need done is pre-existing. And I've been very lucky. I'm a healthy person. I have had no major anything until this last year. So my insurance company you don't pay copay. You're not allowed here. They don't, they're not allowed to charge you copays and all of that here in this country. So if you have insurance, you go to the hospitals and you get what's done. You can go to any doctor, whatever they say. I can go to any doctor because I'm paying a little higher premium. My insurance covers me if I travel in any other country, as long as I don't stay longer than three months. If I go home and I, to the United States and I get sick, my insurance pays for everything. So, and then, then they will also, if I have to come back to my home country, which they say is Spain, and they will see that I get there if I have to come back. And it's very low. When I got here, the insurance I was paying was almost $600 a month. And my insurance now is just like 250 
a month. And that has gone up since I've been here because they have an increase every month. I have to talk to them about that too. So, but I have had now two operations and I go see every doctor that I need to see without worry about how much it's going to cost, how much, you know, do I have to pay once I get out of the hospital? Because everything is covered. So the insurance is here and the laws here in Spain, how to be covered is different. They also have uh, national health. And after you've been here for a year, I think it is, I didn't even think about it until last year, you can actually be covered under the national health. They have levels of of coverage. You can be fully covered depending on whether you're working, you know, how long you've been here, and they have tiers. I'm on tier three, which everything is covered. I can go to all the doctors. I can do everything I need except for a nurse or a doctor coming to my house. Everything else is covered, even though I have private insurance. So I'm covered double, and I don't mind that. And I like the private insurance because you don't have to wait to see doctors, get operations. And under the uh, national health, you have waits. You have a long wait because they figure, okay, this is not important. That's not important. That's not an emergency. You don't need that. And so you have to wait to get your uh, services. But when you get your services, they are the best in the world. They see what you need. They send you to somewhere else. If they can't help, they do it all. Then they have you come back to make sure that it's done. I really like the health services here in Barcelona. They really are fabulous. I asked Gwen how she made friends, how she built community while living in Barcelona. I'm not young, so my experience as a Black woman, I guess, is not like someone who's young, who's seeking companionship or big social life, being accorded the uh, invitations to go places and meet people. So my experience has been just what I need. Like I said, I belong to this international group and it's very big here in Barcelona. So I was able to meet and go to parties, birthday parties, dinners, lunches, movies, to do anything you want to do. This association helps you do. As a Black woman, I met other Black women, thank God, because we're very scattered. There's hardly Black people here, okay? They have refugees which don't live in the Barcelona proper. They live a little out. So you don't hardly see them. You see them if they're trying to sell stuff, those kinds of things. But as an older Black woman, unless you are very outgoing, it's not social. This is not a climate for people over 40. This is a climate, this is an environment for people under 40. That's for jobs, for socialization, for going out. You can go. Nobody's stopping you. Nobody looks at you and say, why are you here? But unless you're very friendly, you kind of are like on your own. I mean, nobody knows I'm my age. Nobody knows. They look at me. They think I'm in my 50s. That's fine. If you're not and you're looking for companionship, it's hard. 
um, because you have to be careful. Some of the men here are not used to a lot of black people, regardless of where they're from. And they try to treat you like, like they read about you, like, oh, you know, you know, they want to take you to bed or they want to talk down to you. And so you have to kind of, you know, decide, you know, what, where your niche is. No, I'm not interested in that and walk away. You have to spend a lot of days by yourself unless you have meet a lot of women who were just in your corner, but everybody's busy. One of the obstacles about staying or, or living in any foreign country is loneliness. Those are the things that you have to figure out how you're going to deal with that. Because when you come someplace and you don't know anyone, there's going to be times of loneliness. It's as friendly as I am and as many people as I can call. Sometimes I'm in my apartment and I feel lonely. And it's not because I can't call somebody. It's because that's the nature of me leaving my country, leaving my family. That's the nature of it. And I'm not afraid of it. I know how to deal with it, but it, it can make you want to go home. It used to be that I would have classes two days a week. I would teach English to some older people, not English, but have conversation English to uh, seniors in my class for two days a week. I always had somewhere to go because in the internations organization that I'm in, I became like a council. I had seniors. I had a woman's group. I had a dance group. I had different things that I was in charge of organizing so we could go out. Since I've been here, I have always had things to do every day, day and night holidays, weekends, there's always something to do and you can find people to do it with. Before the pandemic, I would say, I just don't know how I had time to work. There's so much to do when you retire. But again, you have to be open, friendly, and willing to put yourself out there, even in a scary environment and say, I don't know anybody and I might have to be here all by myself. But I was able to find things to do. I would take walks when people would come over. I'd say, let's go here. I'll take you here. I'll take you there. It was like a tour guide. So there is a lot to do if you're willing to open your mind and figure out what's out there. What haven't you done? I used to travel. I've been to at least six countries. And it was fun. It's fun. It's, and it's easy and it's inexpensive here because you're already here. You're not like coming from America, $600,000, $700,000 trip to get here and then have to fly somewhere else. You're already here. The flights are inexpensive and easy to do, easy to get on. You even have trains that take you from one country to the other. I've been on those. There's just so much to do. By the time you finish classes, you have two hours of class, two days a week. You have an hour of conversation two days a week. Then you have lunch. You have lunch with your seniors and they love to eat here. There's all kinds of restaurants that are open at lunchtime. And I always made sure I went an hour before two, because if you go at two, everybody and his mother is trying to eat. But if you go at one, you can get your accommodations. You can have like 20 people sitting down at the table eating special menu. So 
it was always something to do at night. There was like big parties that the big association did. And then Barcelona itself has these activities that are for anybody who wants to go. Like once a month, you go on these long walks from one neighborhood to the other, up mountains and down. And there's like thousands of people that go at the same time. And so you're all kind of walking through the neighborhoods. This is on Sundays. And it's a three-hour walk. You walk for three hours and it's finished by three, I mean, three hours. So there's so much to do and all of it's free. You don't have to pay for anything except for with the association, but you don't have to pay for anything that Barcelona sponsors and they sponsor everything. The festivals, and there's always a festival. At least there's a holiday for every month. And they're always doing parties and decorating. And there's just so much to do. I asked Gwen if she would ever return to the United States. Well, a year ago, I, was go- I went to Africa. I went to Ghana. And I fell in love with Ghana, just like I fell in love with Spain. I met friends. They were waiting for me to come back. So... Like I said, I'm a very friendly person. And I was going to move for a while to Ghana to actually live there because I liked what it made me feel. It didn't make me feel as home as Barcelona did when I first came. I can't explain it to you. I cannot, I do not think that any other place, time, action will make me feel as I felt when I first stepped foot on Spanish soil. I don't know why, it's actually home. I still want to visit other African countries, even if I don't stay. I wanna stay in each country long enough to understand the culture and its people, maybe a month, maybe two. But Africa continent is huge with 56 countries, so, I'm more interested in where I come from, where my ancestors come from. I know where I uh, come from now because I did my DNA. I come from Nigeria in the Yoruba tribe. And so I'm itching to get back there. But I think that I'll stay in Barcelona at least another two years. I was thinking, it's funny you ask, because I was thinking about that the other day. And I said, okay, you've been here almost five years. You've explored everything that there is to explore in Barcelona. Trust me, I have. And what do you want to do now? Because I was feeling a little antsy. It might be because I'm locked down because you can't go anywhere. You still can't go anywhere. I don't care what people say. You got to be cautious. You can't go, go gallivanting like I used to. I can't go to friends' houses. I can't do any of that. So I was feeling a little lonely and I thought, okay, what do you want to do now? What do you want to do next? Because you've done everything here. You've met everybody that you can meet. So what do you want to do now? There are two things that I thought of. One was to go back home and be with my family. After all, I am 74, but I just don't feel like I'm old enough to go home and sit. So I'm not. So then the other aspect is to go someplace else. Where? I could go to Africa for a year or two. I would love that. but. 
at my age, I have to be very careful and conscious of what kind of health services they have. Because, you know, as you get older, 74 is not a spring chicken. You have to really know what kind of medicine, what kind of hospitals, what kind of health care they have that's available and that you can you have access to. But I have not thought about living in any other country. I think Spain really hit it for me. And the only other country I would go is back home to be with my children and my great-grandchildren and my grandchildren. There's so many. So, no, I'm not ready to go back to America. I asked Glenn to describe to me her definition of wellness and how had retiring abroad really influenced that concept and practice of wellness for her. I try to live a uncluttered life. I try to make sure and maintain my health. I exercise and I walk. I, I read funny things. I maintain my family ties because a healthy mind, a settled mind, a happy mind goes a long way toward being healthy in body. To me, for me, how, what I eat is, is more important than anything because I'm not an eater. And what I discovered, because I don't like a lot of food, I don't like a lot of food that they have here even. So I know how to cook for myself. I know where to find food that I like. And I walk a lot. I walk a lot. That is, I think that a lot of people who get older think that they need to be pounding the pavement and and running up and down hills. No, I walk 10,000 to 17,000 steps a day. I don't do it now because I had a hip replacement, but when it, it heals, I will be doing that again. And I think that it goes a long way towards being healthy. I visit the doctor once a year to make sure that everything is ticking over. And mainly, it's finding joy in what you're doing, finding peace in what you're doing, whether it's to find these things, you do yoga, uh, smile, just getting up in the morning and smiling. I still, after five, almost six years in Barcelona, I get up some mornings and I have to pinch myself because I'm so thrilled to be living in Barcelona and living a life that would anybody would live without, without fear, without envy, without being angry and um, upset about things. Mostly, I don't sweat the small stuff. I, it's not, to me, nothing is that important that I have to dwell and worry all day and all night and a week about something that I have no control over. And I know that if I don't like something, I can just walk away. I don't have to fuss, fight, argue with anybody. I can walk away. And so finding my center is something that sounds like a cliche. What the hell does that mean? It means what makes you happy? What makes you satisfied? What makes you feel at peace? That's where your health is. Your health is not in the doctors. It's not in some pill. It's in your mind. Your mind directs 
how healthy you're going to be. What you find inside is what you portray outside. And the more you smile, the, the calmer you are, the happier you're going to be. And I trust me because I'm a manic person and I have learned to calm down, smell the roses for real and, and not sweat the small stuff. So if you want to travel, if you want to explore, if you're happy not knowing someone, anybody when you first get somewhere and then getting a chance to meet people, if you're not afraid to introduce yourself to people who you don't know, then you're, you can go anywhere you want in the world and you will find people will just hug you. They will gravitate to, to you. They will want to be in your presence and you won't be lonely. You won't be sad. Sometimes you will because you miss your family. But, and I communicate with my family often. I don't leave them over there to just hang in the wind, but I've done my job. I've raised my family, helped raise my grandchildren. So I feel peace that I can leave them and come here or go anywhere I want to. I asked Gwen if she had a motto that she lives by, and this is what she shared. I wrote a book called Don't Take No, You Know What, off of Nobody Know How. And I wrote that book because, and I wrote it when I was in my 30s, because I had come to that part of my life where I realized that trying to please and fit in with other people was making me very unhappy. And, and people thought that they could say and do anything to me and it would be okay. And when I came to the realization, I wrote that book because I had come to that realization that why am I accepting bad behavior? Why am I accepting what someone else is trying to put on me? I have a right. I am a person. I have a right to be who I am and what I am. So the personality and the things that I do, they satisfy my soul. They satisfy my heart. And I live by that motto. I don't take shit off nobody, no how. And I keep moving. And I don't sit around and stew about it. I don't do any of that. I just go. And I enjoy my life. My, my main motto is find your center and live it. Thank you so much, Gwen, for sharing your story with all of us. And if you want to keep up with her online, you can. If people want to get in touch with me, I have WhatsApp, which is a phone uh, for international calling free. I have my Facebook. Is that what it's called? Facebook? Yes. Well, if they come to Barcelona, if they want to come to Barcelona, all they have to do is contact me and I will be glad to walk them through it, to introduce them to people that can help them get through it. So don't be shy because that's what I do. I'm a person that has information to share. I have nothing to hide. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to keep up with Gwen, you can definitely check out her show notes at flourishintheforeign.com slash episodes slash Gwen. You know, every episode I mention, if you are interested in starting your own podcast to definitely join the WOC podcasters membership, I am a member of that 
membership. I've been getting a lot of questions specifically about how I created and started A Flourish in the Foreign and how to really successfully launch a podcast. So I have decided to team up with WOC podcaster, founder, and podcaster extraordinaire, Danielle Desir, and we'll be putting on a workshop for all of you to discuss how we start our podcasts and how to successfully launch a podcast. So if you're interested in learning about tips and tricks and tools and all the things you need to think about if you want to launch a podcast, definitely join us. It is going to be October 23rd at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central European Time, and you will need to sign up for it via the link in the description of this episode. If you're on the email list, I've already sent you an email about it, so check your email, but it will only be open to the people who sign up for it. So if you are curious or if you're really serious about podcasting, how to have a successful podcast, Join us if you are interested in moving abroad with intention. I have a guide for that. If you are looking to build a solid foundation for you to go abroad, sustain yourself abroad, but also thrive abroad, then download the Moving Abroad with Intention guide also on the website flourishintheforeign.com. If you are interested in getting one-on-one help with your moving abroad strategy, I invite you to book a one-on-one call with me. And in a hurry, because I am going to be discontinuing this service in 2022. So if you're looking for an opportunity to chat with me one-on-one, I invite you to do so. I will not be having this service in 2022. So book now, and I hope to chat with you soon. So I just completed the Moving Abroad with Intention inaugural cohort, and we just had an absolute wonderful time. Shout out to the inaugural cohort. You guys are so lovely and so wonderful. I really, really appreciate you. And if you want to hear about their experiences in the Moving Abroad with Intention course, please do go check out their testimonials at flourishintheforeign.com slash mai dash course. There will also be a link in the description of this episode, but definitely go ahead and check out what they thought of the course. I'm really, really excited, very proud of what we did there. And I will be launching another cohort in 2021, the last cohort in 2021. So if you are interested in developing a solid game plan for your move abroad strategy, This is the time to go ahead and sign up. The Move Abroad with Intention course isn't necessarily for if you're going to move abroad next year. In fact, I think what a lot of the cohort members realized and really appreciated is that taking your time to really have a strategy to really understand what you're wanting to do as you make this big leap abroad will only benefit you. So even if you are five years out, you're two years out, you're a year out, you're six weeks out, six months out, I'd highly encourage you to join the Move Abroad with Intention cohort. It is going to be live again. So that means that you'll be chatting with me every week for five weeks. Join in the community of past Moving Abroad with Intention cohort members. Definitely, this is the time. Now, I'm only going to have one day 
of pre-sale one day. So if you have not signed up for the email list, you need to go ahead and do it. I'm going to let you know when the pre-sale is for it. And when the pre-sale is over, it is over. Okay. So one day of pre-sale, just know that's what's going to happen. And if you are interested, definitely go ahead and check out the course. You can find it on flourishingtheforeign.com. You can even sign up for the wait list if you want to be sure that you know when it's going to drop and join me. It's going to be a lot of fun. I want to take the time to mention that I am writing you love letters every Friday. So make sure that you are subscribed to the email list. And if you don't get an email on Friday, feel free to uh, email me and harass me about it. It is my commitment to you. The Flourish in the Foreign community is to come and to chat with you weekly. If you have not already discovered on the website, I have already launched a blog with some useful tips about living and working abroad. And if you would like to be a guest blogger for the Flourish in the Foreign blog, I invite you to check out the submission guidelines and to submit a post. You can find the submission guidelines at flourishintheforeign.com slash guest dash blog dash submission. The link is in the description of this here episode. Because I love this podcast and I love myself, I have decided to make this podcast seasonal. So that means you will not be getting continuous drops from me. Now that I'm going seasonal, I have all these ideas about what I want to do, but I would love to hear from all of you about themes, about people, about places, Whatever you want to hear, this is the time to let me know. So be sure to reply to any of the emails that I send out. Hit me up on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook and let me know what you want to hear on the next season of Flourish in the Foreign. Thanks so much to Zachary Higgs for producing the music of this here podcast. If you're in need of music for your next creative endeavor, he is definitely your guy. You can find all of his information in the show notes of this episode. And please remember that it's not about getting abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. In American culture, women are taught to be perfectionists. And Black women, well, we have the Black tax. We have to be twice as good in order to get to the same place as white people who are half as good. And for Black women to recognize that because of that burden, we have become the most excellent. And we need to recognize how powerful and talented and skilled and valuable we are.